Ball and Play 2 presented by DraftKings is underway. Head over to our Warehouse Games channel to see all the action from Ball and Play. Get some skin in the game and download the DraftKings app right now. Don't forget to use our promo code WAREHOUSE. That's promo code WAREHOUSE only at DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. Um, okay. We're back one last time, maybe, for a little bit. Who knows? The next season has ended at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks at a 4-1 to series defeat. It was ugly. They definitely, they definitely beat us. We're not happy about it. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about the good memories we had throughout the year that we are happy about. I'm here with my good friend Tom, my good friend Big Baby David, and my brother Ken. Hey, guys. Let's talk Knicks. All right, so we're back. As I mentioned, Trey Young and his uh, band of cohorts defeated us rather handily, I'd say. If, if the Knicks won game one, then the, the series would have been different. But also, it may have been different in a bad way in that we would have had to watch the Knicks get smoked one more time rather than the, the three times getting smoked. Hot start. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a bad ending. But we're going to get to the good stuff later. Uh, this, the Knicks just were not going to win that game at any point, I don't think. And neither were they going to win game four, which we had previously discussed. Sad ending. Really, Julius Randle got hot early. Didn't, didn't finish being hot. Had his best game of the series. 23 points on eight for 21 shooting. Eight turnovers, which isn't good. But, I mean, I'm, I've, I'm trying to block that game out of my memory. So, I'll let you guys talk about what you remember about that one as well. So, Kenny, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to just block that entire series out of your memory. Um, I think, I mean, you and I went to game one, which was a lot of fun. And I feel like was the Knicks – best all-around game uh they had an opportunity to win it at the end and they probably uh should have if uh that rj barrett steal happens rather than it bouncing off rj barrett and ending up with uh was it bogdanovich who hit a three yeah yeah um but you know the, being there at the garden it was very exciting you know the the crowd was into it and i think the crowd showed out for for you know all three games of the garden and you know people took notice which is is good uh i have been more vocal i think to you guys than anyone else that um you know i think trey young got a lot of credit this series and i think it was well deserved in games one and two um i think you know he was he was good in game three and then i think in game four and five i i didn't think he was as good you know i i made the joke to you guys that uh, it's it was weird for him to take a bow after making his 10th shot in 28 attempts because, like, he didn't shoot it at, well at all that game. Um, and, you know, that just seemed like a weird thing to do. Uh, but I some some people would accuse me of being salty, which maybe I am. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to remember about this series is Trey Young being a weirdo. I wouldn't say you're being salty there. I think you're just letting Trey Young live rent free in your head, which is oh, equally oh, devastating. Damn. Ouch. All right, yeah, I'm going to leave as, the pod. That's as Bye, rough guys. as it gets. 
But yeah, yeah, it didn't feel like they're gonna win that game. Most of the most of the series were was kind of it was kind of not competitive, or at least most of the second halves were not competitive. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder how different things would have been if they did get that game one win. But oh well, it's a, I guess there's not that many what ifs because the other games like weren't close at the end. So I. In a way, it's easier to get over. But I think my hot take is that games one and two, they 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 didn't do well defensively. Games three through five, I thought they did fine defensively, and you know the problem was that they didn't score. Um, but again, everyone's talking about about the the performance that Trey Young had. Um, I think you know it was a lot of his the people around him had great games in games three through five that help them uh tom and i talked a lot about deandre hunter in game five seemed like every time the knicks had an opportunity to do something he hit a mid-range jumper and you know kind of put an end to whatever they were thinking about doing um and the knicks on the other side you know while while they were holding trey young in relative check for most of game five he scored he scored 18 points in the in the fourth quarter um and i looked it up and according to the the probability he had a the Hawks had a 94% chance of winning when he got his first two points in the fourth quarter. So it looked like he did a lot, uh, but most of it, the game was already in hand. um, And it was done so by his role players uh, while he was uh, kept in check. Whereas on the Knicks side, you know, RJ and, and Julius were kept in check and the, the role players didn't step up as much. And I think that ended up being the difference. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much we need to dwell on this last game. There isn't a ton more to say, like, you're not going to win when your best player plays like he did when he's got his three assists to eight turnovers, like eight of 21 from the field. It's just, it's just not going to happen when he's passing up open looks and driving into crowded lanes and taking contested ones and harder shots. Like it's just not going to happen for you. So um, I mean, Trey young, yes, Kenny, you're right. um, That I think certainly his performance from the field was, was overblown. He did get to the free throw line 15 times against us in in that game five, which is just, brutal i mean that's a lot of free throws um again i think most of that was in the fourth quarter yeah that's that's likely but at the same time he's a good player like there's no doubt about it he played really well in in game one against philadelphia and you know that performance was a little vindicating for us like they went to the to the one seed and you know beat them in game one on the road so the Hawks are no joke. Like they're definitely a good team, but at the same time, the Knicks did not put their best foot forward. And that was the frustrating part, but you know, that was the case, you know, game five was just a repeat of games four and three. Like there was, it's kind of the same story over and over again. I don't think that the Knicks, um, I I didn't think that we did the Knicks coaching staff did a great job of getting Randall in positions to get easy looks or like better looks. But like I mentioned, he was also, pump faking open threes at times. So maybe that's, it's hard to make any excuses for this team, right? They just got outplayed completely. And um, I I think all you can really do is try and take some, some good away from the fact that they even made it as the the four seed in the playoffs in a season where we didn't expect it and kind of reflect on the, on the season as a whole and and take some good away from it and then project forward. Wow. A perfect segue into what the actual goal of this podcast is. I didn't even mean to do that. Is that really it? Oh. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about that last game anymore. Yeah, I've had enough. Everyone remembers it. Yeah. So, 
Let's talk about the good stuff. We're all going to talk about our favorite memories, even if those memories are, are, are season-long memories. And I'll start. We talked about how bad Julius Randle was in the playoffs. But what I'll remember is Julius Randle being the greatest player of all time during the regular season. This guy led the NBA in minutes by a mile. Uh, and he just did it. Every single night, played 81 games, only missed one game because Alfred Payton injured him in practice. Uh, this guy came, averaged a double-double, 24-10, and 10, six assists. A very elite club of people to have done that. I think we've mentioned on prior pods. But just, just hitting ridiculous shots. Last year, this guy was, um, was the guy we saw in the playoffs. But this year he was just, just the best. He was hitting jump shots in 41% from three. Um, as Tom's mentioned on the multiple podcasts, he owned a spot on the baseline. He was the highest. He hit the most field goals from, from the baseline of anyone in the NBA. And he seemingly would just shoot fadeaways, uh, going out of bounds as like his go-to shot. Which was it's just crazy go to shot, but if it works, it works, and it was it was beautiful to watch because it's unbelievable to do. And I think that's important to know is just how difficult the shots he was getting in the regular season were. It's not like the Hawks took away everything in the playoffs; like he just stopped hitting him. I, I mean, I wrote in January for Nick's Film School how I didn't think that Julius Randle's mid-range game was sustainable. I thought he was taking too many long twos, too many contested long twos, and that it was he was going to fall off. I think I said unless he like ends up being Dirk Nowitzki 2.0, like it's going to drop off. And after I wrote that, his percentages from mid-range went up through the regular season. So like he was unbelievable in that territory and and on contested ones like you mentioned, Greg. So you know, you want to say that the playoffs were a bit of an anomaly. I think it's fair to say, like, maybe the lights got a little too bright. Maybe the pressure was on. Um, but it's also just a five-game sample size. You know, we saw Julius Randle play like that, like those five games. He played like that all 64 games last season. That was much harder to watch. But for the regular season this year, he was just incredible. And I think that's a, that's a good call, Greg. Yeah, yeah I think we'll, we'll see – if he gets an all-NBA nod, I think people think he might. I think he, he's in a good position, especially since so many people were injured with LeBron and AD and Kevin Durant. So we'll see. Yeah, and I, I had uh, Julius Randle on my list as well. And for me, it's, it's all about kind of the story of redemption. Because like you guys said, last year he did not play well and the fans turned against him hard. And then, you know, they didn't make the bubble and they said, uh, Julius Randle said that was his motivation and he hit the gym hard and, you know, it came in uh, this, you know, the, in a shortened preseason and everyone said, you know, Tibbs said how great he looked and how in shape he was. And that's something that you hear about every player every year is how great of shape they came into, into camp. So, like, you kind of dismissed it and you weren't ready to believe it. And then the beginning of the season, like, he was going off and you weren't right. Uh, still weren't ready to believe that it was real. Uh, and he was just posting stats game after game. And then 
you know, we talked about it at some point towards the end of the season. Um, but like eventually towards the all-star break, you're like, okay, this is real. This is our guy. He's our, he's our all-star. Like I'm all in. And, you know, I'm still all in on Julius Randle. I just, I really appreciate, you know, the work he put into his game and the improvement that we saw this year. I think it's, you know, that just that, uh, that dedication and that hard work paying off is just a great story. Yeah, man. And, and like coming into last year, I remember seeing those, those photos of him like doing pull-ups with the giant chains around his neck. Like he was in shape last year. It wasn't a problem of like his physicality. It was, it was a skill thing. And like, he must've just put so much time and effort into those, his shot, his pull-up shooting. Um, I, I think those were really the two main things, but also just something unlocked his, his decision-making, his ability to set up his teammates and whether that was Thibs or, or what it was um, just, you know, there was kind of glimpses of that under Mike Miller after Fisdale left as well. So it was, it was kind of in there, but um, for whatever reason, it wasn't all just like, he got in shape. He just became so much more skilled. And I think that is a testament to the, to the work he put in, like you said. Yeah. Love that guy. Thank you for your, your performance during the regular season. I'm hopeful that, uh, that, you know, last year's our first year seeing him and it was awful and it was better this year. And, and this was his first, uh, first taste of the playoffs. So Hopefully we're back there next year and, and he plays better then too. Uh, I'm assuming it. we're like all on the same page that we give him the max. Is that what everyone's thinking here? Yeah, yeah I'm all for it. Yeah, like, yeah. Got it, right? Like, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, the max the max extension right now is, is a good value for him for the Knicks. That's what I was saying. What, is, what is his max extension? I don't know. It's like a little bit over $100 million. It's something about. I, th- I uh, think it's four years. One oh six is the number I have in my head, but I don't. I can find that for sure somewhere. But uh, that's. But I mean, just value wise, it's absolutely worth it to give him that because he played like I don't know a top twenty player this year, and I think by whatever the number is on his salary on on a max, it's like it would be like the fortieth highest paid player. So it's just. It's worth it. Give him the I guess, money. I guess he might, he might not take it and want to bet on himself or something. And then, all right, we get him for less now. We find because he has to like hit a threshold of X many years in the league, and then he'll get yeah. a greater portion of the salary cap. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? I mean, obviously Julius Randle will have some agency here, but um, however many years we can lock up Julius Randle and get him, keep him on this team, I think we got to do it despite the performance in the playoffs there was enough of a sample size in that regular season to know what he can do in the regular season. If the Knicks ever get a, a piece that, that that's like more of that primary, you know, I mean, Alfred Payton was his point guard. Like think about that. Like mm-hmm. the, the amount of attention that Alfred Payton attracts from defenses, it, it's minimal. And then Julius Randle just had, he was keyed up on every single game during the regular season and he still performed. So yeah, I, I'm all in. If we can get yeah. a better point card, then I think that solves a lot of those issues in the in the postseason as well. Yeah, you, know, I, you get a, you get, you get say, a better point guard, you get the leap from RJ, and you know, those two big things. Yeah, and you keep Derrick Rose coming off the bench, where he, I think he really shines. So um, I think that's just a better fit, like chemistry wise, for the team. Yeah, we we saw enough from Randall to absolutely 
like do that. If it turns out this year, like maybe he's not this good, but we'll see what happens with different roster construction or whatever. It's not like he's on it's not like he'd have an unmovable salary. I mean, we've seen every amount of money get moved in a trade if you had need to at some point. So it's not a Porzingis salary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you have a stat that you were going to bring up before we all really interrupted? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say I looked it up, and uh, the his max extension would be one hundred six point four four million over four years. BBD wow, is way so, off. Yeah, forty four thousand dollars off. No, four hundred forty thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. Oh God, that's even more. You got that laying around, BBD? Uh-huh. Yeah. Check it's funny. Out. NBA contracts make me laugh because point four four is $440,000. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, that's a lot of money in real world terms, but like when you're reading it, it's like the 0.44 doesn't matter for our purposes. Nobody's for, for citing the that. Yeah. He doesn't I'll, care. You know, I'll just 44. take it off his hands. Yeah. He doesn't make it a nice clean round number. <laughs> Nobody. All right. I mean, I, I took the easy one, obviously. So I'll I'll light off to to BBD to see what what his good memories are. Well, guys, my the guy who, who kind of sticks out to me. I mean, it felt like, it, especially in the regular season, and, and I guess in the playoffs too. Although they were they were a bit less frequent. Emmanuel quickly was kind of front and center at every like exciting moment that didn't involve Julius Randle uh, during the year. Like every time we'd get like very excited. All the mo- I think the most viral highlights we posted besides Randle stuff had to have been quickly deep threes and floaters and, and, and everything. He's like, <laughs> he's kind of, he was just, I guess similarly to Randall, it was such a surprise to get that from him this year. as just so many good memories attached to it. And, He's a lot of fun. Yeah, and at the yeah. game that me and Kenny were at, he hit back-to-back threes, and the place was going crazy. He got a little uh, trigger shy in the, in the playoffs until that last game when they were losing by 20, and he started to try to take over again, which was was valiant, but it didn't work out. But he's he's fun to watch. Yeah, and he had a few games this year where he just took over and, like, went off, and that – that was fun to watch, um, particularly because, you know, I think the, the running jokes in the, the Knicks fandom was the, that D-plus from CBS Sports. And you mm. see this guy play, and, like, it's like he is definitely an NBA player. Like, he has, you know, he has all of the moves that you'd want offensively. He's able to shoot it from three. Um, he's able to, to hit the floater and get in, get in and draw fouls and, like, just play NBA basketball. Um, you know, at times this season, he was a little inconsistent with, you know, all of those things, but, uh, he did it consistently enough that you're, you know, I'm confident that he can bring it forward. And I remember on, you know, draft night, we were, we were talking, or I don't know, maybe I was tweeting and like people were, some people were very unhappy with the pick thinking that this was a guy we could have gotten in the second round. Um, and I remember just thinking like, 
this draft has been so crazy and people are just drafting people all over the place. Like I think Peyton Pritchard was uh, expected to go like mid second round and he went around that same time. And like, they thought that this was their guy and they went and got him and, you know, kudos to the scouting department because he's an NBA player and he, uh, he showed it this year and, you know, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. And he's even more than being an NBA player. He, I think he contributes to winning pretty con- – I mean, fairly consistently. Obviously, he didn't have his shots some nights or whatever. But, I mean, you look at the the two Knicks, like, good games, the one they won in, in game one where they only lost by, by one uh, by one shot, and he's plus six and plus eight and plus minus in those games. And those are the ones where the team was overall pretty good, I guess. I don't know. He like helps and like every time he came on the floor, it felt better like all year. Yeah. That's a little bit of the Alfred Payton effect, but. Yeah. I think the stats back that up too. Um, if you look at who had like the highest plus minus during the regular season, it was like Derek Rose was one and then two was either uh, Gibson or quickly. Cause he did. I mean, he brought that element of, of shooting, of spacing, but also he's not just a shooter, right? Like he, that's kind of the, the knock on Reggie Bullock is that like, if you take away his shooting, he can do nothing else quickly can get to the paint. He can create shots for himself. He can create shots for others. And all this coming from, from a, a point guard. I mean, kind of an off off ball guard as well, a versatile guard who I didn't expect this at all. Like it was, it was really impressive. And, the game that stands out to me was the one against Portland. I remember, and I'm looking now at the box score, like he, he had 31 points. It was a season high, but the Knicks fell down by 20 points in the first half. And I feel like he like single-handedly brought the team back and we ended up losing the game by three, but I mean, he did everything he could to bring us back and then make it really competitive at the end there. But he finished the game with 31 points, four assists to one turnover and was you know, at times the best player on the floor. It was it was really crazy um, to watch him. He, in a, he was nine of eighteen from the field, five of eight from three. He was super efficient. Got to the line eight times, made all eight of them, and like that's him at his best, right? Like he he can draw those fouls. He's super crafty, and he'll he'll protect the ball, spaces the floor. Like he doesn't really take much off the table. Um, and then even defensively, he competes. Like he's not the biggest guy, he's not the strongest guy. I imagine that'll improve over time, but even at his you know, rookie year, you expect him to be his worst defensively. It wasn't bad, you know? So he's a guy who I, I think you're right to, to call him out. He was a major bright spot all year. Yeah. And um, in that Hawk series, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I saw him shoot a mid-range jumper, which uh, I didn't really see him do all season long. So, I'm excited to see if he adds that to his bag. I don't – I mean, he's his floater's good, but <clears throat> for some reason you always feel better about a jump shot than, than a floater because, uh, I mean, he takes his floater from the free throw line too, pretty much anywhere inside the, the three-point line. Yeah, you, you've just got, like, better balance. You kind of square up better on the, on the mid-range jumper, and you think of who the best – point guards are of the last you know 15 years or so. And Chris Paul jumps to mind and he's just a mid range assassin. And uh, you know, that's, that's definitely a skill that that point guards need to have. And I think that quickly can be a point guard. I know there was some talk about him, you know, not being able to, 
to pass as well or create as well for others. But I think for a rookie guard who wasn't asked to be the, the sole point guard all that much, I think he showed a lot of skill in that area. So I think that's, that's one area to watch going forward where he, he probably can be the lead ball handler and, you know, get the team, get the team into offense as well as creating shots for himself. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I'm excited to see what he adds to his bag this summer. As I mentioned, the, the mid range jumper, he may add the, uh, he already started, but we'll see how, how much of a green light he gets, but he's starting to add that, uh, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard range. So I don't know if he's the type of guy who you give that green light to, but he he doesn't seem to care. He might be willing to give it to himself. So we'll see. So love that guy. Love quickly. That leaves uh, two happy memories left. I'm sure we'll, we'll have a lot of honorable mentions. Love to talk about a lot of people. There's only... It's more than four good memories of this team. That's how we got the four seed. So, Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go before Kenny. Because I'm not ready to talk about Frank Nikina. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. torn between two right now. Um, so I mean, I we, could have, we could have Kenny go before you and make the decision for you. Because I, I assume, in my head, Kenny's is on your list. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Kenny, you go ahead and take this one. Well, that's, that's, that's a shame because I am also torn between two, but I can, you know, <laughs> I can, I can come to the decision of one that I think is, is the more obvious. Well, well here's the idea. We can let Tom go. <laughs> <laughs> what if we both do them both at the same time? It works. Um, it works. I'll, uh, so I'll, I'll go with, I think the more, the more obvious of the two, and then I'll, I'll save the other one for honorable mentions if, if Greg will allow it. Because uh, he's in control of the mic, and anything um, goes. But the, I mean, the broader one is just R.J. Barrett generally. But the the big, the more specific one that I'd like to talk about is just his vastly improved shooting this season. Um, like we we we've talked about it a lot, but it's one of the more um, you know inspiring things for looking forward towards the future is uh, just how much he improved. And, you know, the start of the season, his first game, he went three for three, and then he went on an 0 for 18 streak. And then it was a fun point in the season when, like, he started shooting threes, and, like, day by day, we were watching that number climb. And then, like, eventually he hit 35%. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I, this is where I, like, imagine he's going to end up at the end of the season. But he didn't. He kept going, and he hit 40%. And he ended up, ended up averaging shooting 40% on the season despite – an 0 for 18 streak at the very beginning of the season. And that, that was a very fun storyline for me. And, you know, uh, RJ Barrett being, you know, our, our top prospect and uh, a cornerstone of this franchise moving forward. It's exciting to see him uh, improve as a shooter. And then late in the season, we saw a couple of times in the playoff where he was, he was shooting off the dribble, which we didn't see a lot during the season. And, you know, each step that he makes, it's, it's exciting, exciting for me to watch. Yeah, yeah, and in addition to the in addition to the, the three point percentage, RJ was brutal from the free throw line last year at shot sixty one point four percent. He bumped it up to seventy four point six percent. So so all around shooting was was good. I mean shooting sixty one percent from the line was was definitely worrisome. Um, because I mean those are those are the free throws, so it's supposed to be free. 
Yeah, Kenny, this was this was the one I was going to say. So I'm glad that that we gave you the opportunity to talk about it. Um, it looks like we're, we're having a maybe a special guest here joining. And hold the phone. Oh, can you guys hear me? Jake, we're talking about we're talking about R.J. Barrett's improvement this year and how much we loved it. It was Tom's turn, but you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, I'll take Tom's term. Hey guys, <laughs> sorry, sorry for the delay. Uh, <laughs> good times, attaboy. Uh, man, RJ Barrett was the goal coming into this season. Like it was, I remember what I think the preseason ep. I was like, is the goal for RJ Barrett to be this team's best player? Um, and I was kind of wrong on that because of the whole Julius Randall show, but. No, man, I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think any of my takes are going to be out of the ordinary on RJ. We saw his shooting improve. He plays strong, man, and he's still so young that he should continue to get stronger, I guess. My, like, dark shower thoughts, so I'll jump right in, is, like, uh, let's say we know how the NBA works. Like, the Knicks have some momentum right now. People are comparing them to the Nets team from a couple years ago, like, is, is there a world where if one of the big stars comes free, like, R.J. Barrett time is over? Like, if it's Dame time, is it R.J. time? I don't know. That's my that's honestly one of my dark thoughts. That's a fair dark thought because he is like a – he could be a cornerstone for, for another team. And that's, that's obviously – if you were offering a star, that's who you would ask for in, in your first, first ask. I think the Knicks would – would probably say no, but I mean, if, if you're, you know, Damian Lillard, they say we want RJ Barrett. You'd have to be like, I don't, we're really not going to give you RJ Barrett for Damian Lillard, but RJ Barrett is the future. Damian Lillard's 30 plus. So I don't know. I see what you're saying. It's, it's, it's a dark thought. Um, we're trying to be happy right now, but <laughs> Jake it, came in with a different energy. Yeah, it's definitely I, something on our mind. I mean, I'll say it's something that I have thought about, but in my mind, R.J. Barrett is the most untouchable player on this team. Is that an accurate statement? I think Hardest it is. to pry away. He's 20 years old, just averaged like 17, 6, and 3. Uh, I mean, he just shot 40% from 3 on over four attempts per game, I think. Like, he was – he lived up to everything we could have possibly – hope for this year. I mean, I was going to say before Jake joined in, like he, he was the goal and Jake kind of stole, <laughs> <laughs> stole what I was going to say, but I mean, honestly, that's what I was looking at this year. Like his development as a shooter, I did not, I didn't see it coming at all. Like I would have hoped for 35% on probably a little lower volume. The fact that he became a, a guy that you literally can't leave alone in the corners I mean, even above the break, he it's going to unlock so much of his game, like the pump-and-go game. We know he likes to get downhill into the paint. His finishing wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't elite by any standards, but, like, he's got time to improve to improve there. And, like, I, I'm getting choked up talking about it. Like, he, <laughs> no, I, I'm – is he untouchable? I, I don't know if I want to get – I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the offseason and, like, potential transactions this summer. There's a lot of time to talk about it. Just 
this year from RJ Barrett was more than I possibly could have hoped as far as his development as just a shooter and a player. That was beautiful. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll be getting there. I think many times this summer, but just the fact that we could even start to get the dark thoughts when, you know, kind of a year ago, if we were talking about, are we willing to trade RJ for Damian Lillard? Like we'd laugh at ourselves and like the, why would the Blazers want him as anything more than a throw in right now? And now he's, he would be the center of that package. So it's cool. I'm a, uh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I came in kind of dark like that. I guess, let me just get all my dark thoughts out. Uh, Fisdale was the worst coach ever. Yes. Can we put that as a win. Like, Holy smokes. And then I just, I was laughing, thinking about the Wayne. Edmonton. What was that? Um, <laughs> this, this, this year was so much better on like every level, man. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you guys mentioned Tibbs just won coach of the year. So that's pretty cool. Um, like Knicks. Okay. Knicks have a guy who just won coach of the year and they have like a young cornerstone-ish piece. Like Mitch Rob was never that. Mitch Rob seemed cool, but he never seemed like a cornerstone piece. That's a win. Yeah, and I mean And so just real quick, Jake, like you uh you kind of stole my thing, which was that the thing I'm gonna think about when I look back on this season is Tom Thibodeau. Like if not any of the other things that you guys all said, you know, whether it was Randall or Quickly or RJ's development, it, it is Tom Thibodeau. And and the fact we actually hadn't mentioned that he just won coach of the year because we weren't doing a good job. But <laughs> I was, we were saving it for we you. We were Tom. saving it. We were saving that for me for this section. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing is the fact that Tom Thibodeau brought this team and it's, you know, all those high minded words we say like culture and just the work ethic and the perception. He brought it all up to a professional level. Like, that's the, that was the biggest turning point, right? Like, that was the thing that felt the most impossible coming into this season was that a coach was going to come in and set a tone where it's like, we're not going to accept anything less than your, than an elite effort on both ends of the floor, good decision-making on offense and just a crazy amount of effort on defense. I mean, the Knicks defense we finished, I have the the stat right here, so I'm going to just pull it up. I mean, you guys probably know it off the top of your heads. According to Cleaning the Glass, we have the fourth best defense in the entire league. That gets rid of, uh, you know, blowouts and things of that nature, uh, garbage time. But, I mean, to have a top four defense in the NBA, I would have never expected that, especially if you told me that Mitchell Robinson was going to be injured for so much of the season and wasn't going to be able to anchor the defense. I mean, he came in and just Thibodeau came in and set a tone. And I think that he had as much to do with the Knicks' success as, as just about any player. And he made it. He made it so that other, you know, like we we're talking about the the potential for big trades and Jake's dark thoughts. Thibodeau setting this tone and this culture is what's even going to allow for this speculation to happen, where good players are going to want to come to New York and play at Madison Square Garden, and that's that's all Thibodeau. Yeah, Tom, and it's lucky. I think we, you and I both had more or less the same thing because my, my uh, 
fourth thing, had you taken RJ and I been left on, would have been, you know, the the defensive intensity that Tibbs brought out of the team because we saw it from all of the players, you know. Julius Randle, we never thought of as a defender, and, like, he was an excellent on-ball defender this season. Like, there were times where he had highlight defensive plays where, you know, whether he w- – we saw it in the playoffs a little bit where he got matched up on Trey Young a couple times and kind of stonewalled him. And then, you know, there's a couple other players that I'm forgetting that, but it's all people that you're like, there's no way Julius Randle could guard that person one-on-one, and he did it. And then it was the same thing with R.J. Barrett. You know, we saw him stonewall uh, Danilo Gallinari a couple of times. We saw him play some de- uh, perimeter defense. And, like, seeing that out of these guys who, you know, we thought uh, we thought that, that R.J. had the tools to be a solid defender, but we didn't really see much of that last year. And, like, seeing that come out of him, you know, I'm a, I'm a defensive guy. So that, that got me really excited. Oh, shut down the house with that one, Kenny. That's yeah, I'll do what I can. Yeah, I mean, like, but just continuing on with more of what Tom was saying, like we going into the season, it was about culture building. Like we didn't even have the thought of making the playoffs and being a winning team. It was about developing a culture and to be able to both win games and develop a culture that, you know, potential players will want to play in. Like that's that coming into the season, we couldn't even even dream of doing that. And it's such a win for this team and, and a win for us being able to to watch it and talk about it. And I feel like a lot of what Thibodeau's reputation is, is that he's like this militaristic disciplinarian who's like, you know, no nonsense coach, but then you look at the way this team played and everyone seemed to really like each other, right? The bench was celebrating Theo Pinson's dancing. Like you had post-game interviews where guys were like crashing interviews and laughing and cracking up. Like this team, it it seemed like there was a lot of joy playing with this team. It wasn't this kind of dour, you know, you know, militaristic scenario, right? That that you kind of associate with Thibodeau. It was the best of both worlds where it's, there was an, uh, an, air of accountability with this team kind of paired with these guys are having fun playing basketball. Like Julius Randle found joy playing basketball again. And like that coincided with him playing really well. It's just, it's, it's kind of a perfect storm of all these different things that Thibodeau really brought to the forefront. Where um, have you guys talked quickly at all? Yeah, so let me let me give you the quick synopsis of where we're at so far. We each picked a storyline from this season that we enjoyed and we wanted to talk about. Uh, Greg started with Julius Randle and his improvement. Big Baby David talked about Emmanuel quickly and uh, what he showed this year. Uh, I mentioned R.J. Barrett's improvement specifically from three, and then you just got here for Tom's, which was the, the Thibodeau show. So if you want to if you want to jump in with I know we're putting you on the spot and we all, you know, pre-thought of ours and had a lot of time to think about it. So I'm talking right now to give you like an extra 5 seconds of Yeah, I mean and also this 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 recap will be helpful for the people who walk into the room <laughs> to someone else listening to the podcast and they'll be all caught up as well. You want to yeah. catch up right now? Um, <laughs> Hop in. No, I, you guys are probably going to think it's a hot take, but Alfred Payton 
that was mean. I'm not happy with that. Um, let's see. No, man. I, I guess. I, I'm still in the dark place. No, I. Some of the role players were so good on like. We come in, and I, I think if we listen to some of the preseason episode, like I, I made that Wayne Ellington joke. I'm not even happy with that right now, but, like, you know, Reggie Block was so good for us at stretches this year. I know, you know, the playoff games seemed too dependent on Reggie, which uh, it shouldn't exactly be the game plan, but, like, Tom, you were all over during the playoffs. Like, how, how much his success is tied to Randall's success? Um I mean, that was pretty nutty. I, I don't know. I, I guess the playoff series sucked so much that, like, I was just sad and mad and how could we not have gotten at least one more win or how could we not have looked good? Um, Alec Burke's show at point this season was really good. Like, Nerland's Noel, I don't know where he gets offered more money this year, but man, re-sign with the Knicks. Because as long as you're with Tibbs, you are going to be a great basketball player. Um, You know, Nerland's Noel, guys, he became not a joke, but like borderline out of the league. Like, I, he was on OKC getting 13 minutes a game in 2018-2019. Uh, you know, he, he came in, he was a big pick. It feel like he... He fell out of everywhere he went after looking for that big contract. Never happened. And and this year he started more than half the Knicks games. And he was like a crucial role to the team. So I, I think, and okay, so I took a jab at Fisdale before because I came in hot. I'm sorry. Um, it just seemed like there was so many small and big successes. By the end of the year, Toppin looked nice, which – how many conversations have we had over talking Knicks podcast about Kevin Knox, Frank? Um, I, I mean, you know, going back, Wayne Ellington, Oscar, like there were so many things that just constantly stung that this year was just a, a breath of fresh air. And it's now that I'm out of the playoff loss, like, my brain is spinning. What like I the question I was just asking myself, the reason I brought up quickly was do I have a manual quickly as a starter next year? And I I'd, I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on that. There's yeah. just so much up in the air about what this roster looks like next year that I couldn't begin to to guess that. Yeah, it depends so much. Like is Derek Rose coming back? Cuz I think that Derek Rose the fact that we didn't bring him up in what we're all going to remember most that some of that may have to do with kind of the long-term plans of this team and, and where Derek Rose fits into those. But I mean, there's no doubt about it that like the season turned when Derek Rose came to this team. Like we were, we were in a bad way without Derek. I mean, yes, the record looked fine, but like Rose was a catalyst for so much success. I think that as far as quickly starting part of that has to do with whether Derek Rose will come back and, you know, what, what they're going to prioritize next year. It is hard to say at this point, but I mean, no, no question quickly was incredible, but I do think that the Derek Rose probably deserves a little bit more of our, of our kind of respect and attention in, in these uh, postseason discussions. Yeah. And I think before we jump in, cause that both of those were on my list of honorable mentions, along with a couple other things that maybe we'll get into, but 
um, kudos to Jake for for thinking this up on the spot because the big 15 that was that was going to be another one of my potential ones uh, just because there were so many games where a different person stepped up whether it was quickly or Burks or Bullock or you know even you know I know I know his stint here didn't end in a happy way but Austin Rivers the two Utah games like the guy went off and had like those those are some highlights from the season is, is the first Utah game when he just closed the game making shot after shot after shot like that was incredible and we won that game against uh, one of the top teams in the NBA so like the the full team coming together so it's a little bit of what Tom's saying and what Jake's saying is like it's so it, it was so you know just refreshing to watch Austin Rivers by the way is like starting in the playoffs for the Nuggets very much a part of their winning formula. Like that, that's just weird. We made one <laughs> shirt this year. It had Austin Rivers on it. Um, quivers. I thought quivers was going to be more of a thing. No. Yeah. Can I, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like I, it just, it felt like none of that happened. It felt like last year or previous years, it'd be screaming like, how could Wayne Ellington look this bad? Instead, we're talking about, you know, a couple big rivers games and, and guys that look good all year. And I, I don't know the answer to the D Rose thing. I mean, I think you got to, you have to feel out whatever the market turns into. Like if D Rose comes back next year, I think we'd all be excited. He, he looked really good playing for Tibbs and the Knicks, but what does that make the Knicks? Like it, it, it doesn't feel like you're getting a step forward with age 33, Derek Rose. And it, it, it feels a lot more like a stopgap than a solution. But, you know, Derrick Rose played some of the best point guard we've seen played since Jarrett Jack. So I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I think moving forward, Derrick Rose, you know, coming in, he was expecting to be the backup point guard. And I think he's kind of embraced that role. Uh, he was sixth man of the year. I don't think the plan was for him to play the minutes that he ended up playing in the playoffs. Uh, but, First off, he was so good, and second off, Alfred Payton was so bad that it just kind of ended up there. Um, so I think, you know, to the extent that that he is in a part of the future plans, and I hope he is, uh, I think it's in a in a backup role with, you know, probably closer to 20, 25 minutes a game than 30 or 35. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. He was just miscast as this 34-minute-per-game starting point guard, and that's not where he's at in his career at this point after all of his injuries and everything. Um, it was just he needed to be that guy out of necessity. We saw him kind of burn out towards the end of the series. But, I mean, that doesn't take away from how great he was during the regular season and even during the playoffs when he carried our offense for several quarters when Julius Randle was struggling to find it. So, yeah, I would be, I'd be very happy to bring Derrick Rose back in just in a limited role, a role that fits where he is in his career. Can I ask another crazy question? Please. You think we're going to stop you? Is anyone buying Obi Toppin stock? That's the next thing to talk about. Yeah, sure. again, that, that was another one of my, my honorable mentions. And his improvement through the season is a, like being able to see him at the beginning of the season when he wasn't doing anything good. Like we, I think we were all pretty low on him, like acknowledging that he wasn't being put in great situations. Uh, but watching him at the end of the season, like it, it kind of, and I might've said this on previous pods, but it kind of justified to me that like my uh, contempt for Alfred Payton was well-earned because like 
Obi Toppin started out in that, you know, I was not happy to see him in the game. And by the end of the season, like, I was very excited to see him doing whatever he was doing on the court. Like, he came with energy and he played well and he, like, started making shots and attacking the rim a little bit more. And it was, I'm, I'm excited to see his development as a player. And I think, you know, he could be, uh, you know, a part of this team's future. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, uh, you know, after we did, you know, the four or five things that we're most excited about as a group, he was going to be on my list of like honorable mentions, but like just saying he, he's see he feels well on his way to being on my list next year for things I was most excited about for that season, just the way everything ended. And he's a positive contributor and like fairly substantial minutes in the playoffs and uh, everything seems to be building towards something. And I'm very, very excited to see him continue to, to grow and, and whatever that ends up being. Um, of course we thought he was going to contribute all of the rookie season, but, uh, you know, we got, we got bamboozled a little bit, but, uh, if, if at the end of the day, if, we're, if by the time we're, we're a truly competitive team, if he's helping with that, then how we got to that point kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. I think the part of that was the expectation where we heard all these, this talk of OB being the most NBA ready prospect. And cause he's 23 or whatever he is, like he's going to come in and make an instant impact and offensively he's polished. And he was kind of anything but that to begin the game. The game really seemed way too fast for him. He wasn't able to process it um, appropriately. And I, I think he was a real big transition. It was a struggle for him to transition to the league. But we saw it over the course of the over the course of the season. And by the playoffs, by playoff time, like I think a lot of us were excited to see him in for Randall because Randall was just so in his own head. It seemed like he every time he came out, it seemed like he really needed that break. And Obi was able to provide minutes where he wasn't just, you know, keeping us afloat. He was, he was actually making positive contributions. He was starting to get used a little bit more as a role man in the pick and roll, which is where we know he shines. And when he gets out in transition, like the Knicks were one of the least frequent transition teams in the league this year. And that's Obi's game is getting out and running. That was a big thing that Derek Rose did was focusing on getting Obi just out and running, getting some easy looks before the defense gets set. So I, I that's part of the reason why I hope Derek Rose comes back, but I, I think that Obi is just going to continue to get more confident in his game. He had some nice moments where he'd do some, some, you know, pump fake and drive moves. He, he did that one move a lot where he would fake the dribble handoff because defenses at this point don't expect him to attack the rim off the dribble. So he would kind of dribble into this fake dribble handoff and then just attack and get good looks from that and, and get to the free throw line. So I, I expect to see more of that, though defenses are going to start to get you know wise to that. They're going to start to expect more from him too. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, the better he gets, the more defenses will key on him. Um, but there's no doubt, like the, the energy is there defensively. He's not necessarily always in the right place, but there's so much effort and energy behind what he does. He's a competitor. So I'm not, I'm not even worried about him on the defensive end anymore like I used to be. And there's, you know, that, that's just some major progress from Obi. I mean, yeah. Uh, again, the, the whirlwind of this Obi Toppin season, like it kind of, we kind of buried him because it was just like, holy smokes, seems bad. And yeah, for him to come out in the playoffs, and I think he averaged like 13 minutes a game. The 
it's it's obviously such a small thing like you know if you had told us some of this stuff coming into the year we wouldn't obviously have been excited about it but from where we ended up to to where we are i don't know man like <laughs> like I mean, obi obi went from us like groaning when he was playing to like we were excited you kind of want to see what happened is he is he gonna bang a three is he gonna pump fake get to the tin is he is he gonna do something electric so i'll take that yeah, and I mean, I think if you told us preseason that uh, Obi was going to play 13 minutes a game in the playoffs, um, we would have been shocked that you said the Knicks are going to be in the playoffs, and we would have yeah. accepted it happily. So mm. that's something. Where's the Facebook in the library? <laughs> um, what else is on your guys' minds? I mean, I have I have one more player that uh, we haven't talked about that I think we need to mention. And uh, that is Frank. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, Taj Gibson, who was just so good for this team. And uh, he wasn't even on the team at the, the start of the season, even though he was on the team last season. Um, and then, you know, the, the Knicks thought that he needed some depth at center uh, after some, some injuries. And Taj Gibson came in and we weren't even really expecting him to play. We were expecting him to be the the back end of the the center rotation behind Mitch and then Noel. And then, you know, Mitch went down and he became the backup to Noel. And then, you know, Noel had some injuries in the, in the postseason. He had an injured ankle and was a little hobbled and, you know, wasn't particularly effective. Uh, whether that's because of the injury or not, Taj Gibson came in and just played so incredibly well that, you know, it's, he, he deserves a shout out for that because he was, one of the biggest highlights of that playoff series was just his incredible play, which doesn't jump out to you from a stat sheet perspective, but watching him play, like he was just so good. Yes. He was just, uh, just a, just a basketball player, you know, setting screens, grabbing boards, being intense, dunking the ball. I mean, his dunk at the end of game, too that like kind of sealed it was a uh, was electric and you know he's a guy that you don't even know if he can even dunk anymore so every time he dunks it you get a, a little extra pumped up i'm i'm looking at his playoff game logs from his career and a i think he's played in let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen He's played in about 15 different playoff series, and I think these were his third most minutes played per game in a playoff series. Um, I mean, 35-year-old Taj Gibson, that's nuts. Um, so, yeah, when you put that in the bucket, it's one of those weird things like, <laughs> what? Um, but at the same time, he became so valuable. I mean, the cross-court passing um, – the screens, the rebounding, the the defense he was playing it. It's again, it's it's put it in the the bucket with Derrick Rose. Like I would love if Taj Gibson's back next year, but you want it in a, you know, sixteen minutes per night, or he's playing twenty five minutes, but he's taking every other game off. Um, but man, Taj was Taj was like Nick's basketball. Like that's that's what you want to picture. Um, shout out yeah it's that hard-nosed basketball it's good it's good stuff from the brooklyn boy 
I'm all for it. Uh, Taj was an absolute monster. He was like the only guy setting hard screens. I do, I do think that if Mitch were healthy, then Taj's minutes would have been – I mean, even if Noel were healthy, Noel was really hobbled in the playoffs. I think Taj's minutes would have been more aligned to, to what his role should be. But, you know, he did what he was asked to do, and he was often one of the more productive players in that playoff series. So, you know – I would be thrilled to have Taj back because, like you said, he is an embodiment of just the Knicks kind of ethos and that just grinded out, we here, like work ethic. I, I love Taj Gibson. Love the way he plays. Um, so, yeah, all for bringing him back. The one other honorable mention I wanted to call out was just, uh, Kenny, you called out, you mentioned R.J. Barrett's three-point shooting and just the team's three-point shooting in general, I'm looking at cleaning the glass stats right now. The Knicks as a team in the regular season shot 39.5% from three. Is that right? That's crazy. They had... I'm looking at this. So this gets rid of garbage, garbage time. Um, so that was fourth best in the entire league, just a tick under Utah, who was at 39.6. If if you compare that to last year, the Knicks were 28th in the league in shooting. So we're talking about 28th to nearly third in the league. That is just such an insane jump. And given the personnel, like there, there wasn't so much of a personnel shift either. So you kind of wonder what you attribute that to. I mean, so much of it was just Julius Randle being able to hit step back off the dribble threes, which is just an insane development that we talked about earlier, but I mean, even Reggie Bullock, we know that, that, that Jake mentioned earlier, we know that he was told to start shooting the ball more about partway through the season. And through the, through the last like month and a half of the season, he was taking eight three-point attempts per game and hitting over 40, like hitting 43% of them or something like that. So, I mean, you have to, I don't know if it's a schematic thing, if you again attribute some of this to Thibodeau, but the fact that the team went from 28th it's a fourth in three-point shooting. Just it changed the game. It changed the game entirely, and you just hope to see that kind of sustained shooting next season as well. Yeah, Tom, and it's it's crazy because our high-volume shooters, our worst high-volume shooter was Emmanuel Quickly at thirty-eight point nine percent, so just under under forty percent, and then you had R.J. Barrett shooting 40.1% on 4.3 attempts. Bullock, 6.1 attempts, shooting 41%. Uh, Julius Randle, 41.1% on 5.5 attempts. That's crazy. Burks, Burks was 41.5% on 5 attempts. So, like, those are high-volume shooters, and then you throw in, like, Derrick Rose had, shot 41% on 2.5 on attempts. And Frank shot over 40 as well, as we know. But I, I will say that, like, quickly, yes, shot 37% or whatever you said, but he 39. also – Quickly shot 39%? 38.9, yeah. 38.9. I mean, that's crazy good considering the level of difficulty threes that Quickly was taking. He was the one being asked to take a lot of those off-the-dribble, super-deep threes. He was the one stretching the defense. So, I mean, yeah, R.J. Barrett was getting mo- – I mean, we know this, mostly catch-and-shoot threes, off and open. Um, quickly wasn't getting that luxury. So the fact that he even shot that close to 40% on those attempts as a rookie is crazy. So, yeah, that – that is some of the – those are very impressive numbers. I, I've got one Taj Gibson closing thought because I, I was on his player page and I clicked on his college basketball recruiting class. Oh, 
Loud noise outside. Noodle is freaking out. Um, Taj Gibson's college recruiting class. Uh, we're looking at a Wayne Ellington that made me laugh. He's catching um, so many strays today. <laughs> Rebus Vasquez uh, was the same class as Taj Gibson. And Taj Maryland. Gibson. University of Maryland. Hustles. Treat him with respect, man. Uh, Tom's doppelganger, Chase Budinger. Really rude. Uh, really rude of you to call him that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Greg Oden, Lance Thomas. So, again, a reminder that he oh, was playing great. 28 minutes per game in these playoffs. That's awesome. Man, I, I, I love Taj Gibson. And the, the other thing that I loved during the playoffs is, like, you could tell he went all out. Because when he went out of the game, like, he could not breathe at all. And so I, I don't know why I found that so entertaining, but, like, I appreciated the effort he put in because, like, he was, he was giving it all on the court when he could. Is that it? Anything else, guys? Any other uh, honorable mentions or what, what you're going to remember when you look back on the season? Like, this was just – it was a great season. Like, what else can you say? This was so much better than we expected – we came into the season with an additional segment to this podcast called What Else Is On? Because we thought that the games wouldn't matter by February, and uh, they mattered all the way to June. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing. You guys have anything else? Yeah, I think we, we covered most of it. We hit most of the players on the team, it seemed like. I mean, Mitch, Rob got injured. Otherwise, I'm sure we'd be talking about him like we did the last two years because he was our, our – our savior from misery for for those two seasons where he was just a highlight reel, but he was injured this year. When he played, he was really good this year. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about what the, what his deal is this off season and in, in a future episode. Yeah. Like him fouling less was a huge thing I was looking for this year. And he checked that box. Like he definitely decreased his fouls. He wasn't just jumping out of position all the time. We saw great things from Mitch, and I, I can't wait to see him back next year. Yeah, and we got to see how – hopefully we, we are able to keep up everything we did right this season. It seemed like everything went right um, as much as it could have. I mean, we're talking about getting the four seed from a team that we were thinking of being the bottom four teams in the NBA. We were wondering, are we, are we better than the Pistons? And we are. So, yeah. We've, we've proved that. So hopefully it, uh, it carries forward. We'll see who we add this offseason, see who we bring back. Uh, we've got a lot of free agents. We'll see the, the leaps we get from our young guys and our old guys like Obi Toppin. Uh, hmm. It's a canny joke, but hey. we, like, we like what we see. Let's see more of it. And then some. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about the the off season and the draft and all that. We'll we'll have other content coming out, but I think it's important to to really really look back and reflect on the season that we just had because it is so rare that we get that. So you know, let's not take it for granted. Let's not just look ahead immediately. It's it's good that we did this. This was nice. Yeah, Same time. great season. Well, thanks for listening. We had a fun time. We will be back in this offseason to talk about what the Knicks should do. 
next World Day, we'll talk about the uh, Jake's dark thoughts on on who we're trading and who's who's staying around for what. And we'll enjoy the the rest of the NBA playoffs as much as we can without the Knicks in there. All right, thanks for listening. Go Knicks. Knicks take. Ball and Play 2 presented by DraftKings is underway. Head over to our Warehouse Games channel to see all the action from Ball and Play. Get some skin in the game and download the DraftKings app right now. Don't forget to use our promo code WAREHOUSE. That's promo code WAREHOUSE only at DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours.